Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason, a guy who has wondered if he's bipolar at times. <laughs> and I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And today we're joined by Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Hi. How are you guys today? Doing all right. How are you? Pretty darn good. That's awesome. So if you haven't guessed, which you probably have, because I make it plainly obvious in my introduction, we're talking about bipolar today. And, uh, you know, we had spoken with Erin and she she mentioned that that was part of her story. And we thought, you know, how many people maybe have this struggle or don't know they're having this struggle or are unaware of what's going on. And, and there's such correlation between uh, mental health and, you know, substance use and abuse and, and however you want to refer to that, that we just thought it was key that people getting off of substances and into recovery might want to explore their, their mental health journey. And so I'm already talking too much. I will let Erin explain exactly why she is here to help us out with this episode. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, so I got into recovery. Um, my, my recovery date is November the 16th of 2008. And when I got in, I had suffered from depression uh, or depressive episodes most of my life since my teenage years. And I came from a family that would either throw money at it or throw meds at it. So I had been on antidepressants one sort of way or the other for years um, in my 20s, which is when my drinking and using started to really take off. Um, I would have, you know, horrible breakdowns. And it was one of the, you know, it's like it's in the NA basic text, you know, it says like, could it be the drugs, you know? <laughs> and um, so I was, I, I always knew there was something wrong. I just didn't know what it was. So when I got into recovery, everybody uh, at the time was seeing a very specific psychiatrist in the area. <laughs> so I went and uh, and was sort of reticent about getting on meds at the time, because at the time that I got clean, there was kind of a, a split of people who were like, well, you don't need to be on meds. You know, it's just you need the steps. and recovery. And then the other half was like, maybe you should get on meds. Um, so there also at that time period, you know, depression and bipolar disorder, which I hadn't even really, you know, delved into wasn't as socially acceptable as it is today. You know, today it's like, if you're bipolar, you've got, you know, a t-shirt and, you know, a website and, <laughs> and there's, you know, a million people coming out and they're just like, I'm bipolar also. You know, it was it was not uh, trendy or chic at the time. It was um, usually used as a punchline. You know, it's like, oh, my girlfriend's crazy bitch. She must be bipolar. You know, <laughs> and um, and they're probably not wrong. Uh, so at the time, I didn't. That was not even a thing that was thrown around. So around, you know, I got into recovery. I got involved. You know, I stayed clean for about five years. And around five years. I got involved with a really abusive person where I lived. I got kind of isolated from my fellowship and isolated from meetings and isolated from everything. And I was living out in the middle of nowhere. And, um, and I just started to deteriorate mentally. And when I got out of that relationship, um, I ended up in the hospital and in the hospital, they were like, yeah, you're bipolar too. Uh, and bipolar two disorder, as opposed to bipolar one, um, is characterized by what's referred to as hypomania. So mania, this is how I like to describe it. Um, hypomania is, you know, I'd like to write a book about Jaws and mania is I am Jaws. 
(laughs) So that's uh, how you would describe it, which means that the the manic part of it with bipolar one is where people usually get people get um, hospitalized for, you know, thinking they're God and, and having sort of paranoid delusions, if you will. Whereas with hypomania, it's characterized by, you know, excessive thoughts, excessive talking, excessive swearing, excessive shopping, <laughs> you know, which, and you, you made this uh, comment about how, well, it's what came first, the chicken or the egg, you know what I mean? Like, is this a, like, am I just an addict or am I an addict that deals with the mental illness? And since I'd had five years off of substances, you know, they were able to make that distinction and say, no, no, this is different. You know, this is something very different. And I wanted to rebel. That was a big thing was I could deal with being an addict. I could deal with being an alcoholic. I could deal with being, you know, labeled as, you know, depressed, (laughs) but I could not deal with the, the bipolar um, tag. I just hated it. So, uh, they basically told me at the time, they said, okay, so you need to find a therapist. So yes, that is definitely good advice. (laughs) They said, find a therapist and, um, you're going to have to be on a medication combination. So instead of like being on just an antidepressant, they put me on an antidepressant and an antipsychotic or also referred to as a mood stabilizer. (laughs) So, um, so you know, and thus began the journey, really, uh, because it was a lot of trial and error, and it was confusing. Um, and I, you know, like I said, there were there were no, you know, bipolar support groups at the time, and there was no like bipolar Facebook chat, you know, <laughs> there wasn't any of that stuff. So I, um, I found myself doing a lot of research, you know, a lot of books and trying to figure out what this meant and that this meant that this was going to involve a lifestyle change just as in recovery when you know you come in and they tell you you know it's like okay you're going to go to meetings you're going to get a sponsor you're going to find a higher power that works for you you're going to work steps it was exactly like that it was like learning a whole new way to live um but way more in depth, I would say, you know, like just way more serious as far as you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, the main thing that happened was I had to learn that, you know, meds and therapy were all well and good, but it was really important what I put into my body and what I uh, did in a day that was it was learning a routine that worked for me. And um, so manic depressive, which is what I prefer because I hate bipolar. (laughs) Manic depressive just sounds like, you know, I'll turn on any minute, you know, it's great. (laughs) Um, But manic depressive uh, roughly translates from the Greek. It means mania to speed up and depressed to slow down. So there's two poles like this. And the way that it progresses is that there's a rise. So right here, this is where it's fun. It's very similar to being on speed, I would say. Um, So you're, you know, you got all the ideas, you know, you got all the ideas. You're super creative. You're super talkative. You know, maybe you're swearing a little too much. Maybe your filter is gone. Um, it's very uh, like the world is going a million miles an hour and you're the smartest person in the room. And Sounds then, like a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um there's there's um i i sent y'all a a message at one point but like there's there's a movie with bradley cooper called um limitless and it's where he takes this magic pill and the magic pill makes him like you know smarter than everyone else faster than everyone else a sex god you know just like it's all of the wonderful feelings in the world of mania basically but what happens is that just as a car cannot run 90 miles an hour every day your body, your mind, your everything cannot do that. And so it hits its peak and you think, oh, this is the best I want to feel for the rest of my life. 
And then that slowly turns into anxiety, rage, agitation, annoyance, and then it spirals into depression. And then you have the aftermath of that. So uh, there's an episode you guys did, um, Honesty, and I think it was it was like four episodes back or something to that effect. And um, you brought up an Aristotle quote, which I love, which is virtue consists of finding an appropriate middle ground between two extremes. And the ultimate goal of any bipolar person <laughs> is to live in the middle. It's not to let things go here and not to let things go here. Uh, and my, my, my best friend, Amanda says it best. She said, it takes a lot of work to be you (laughs) and she's not wrong. Um, you know, it, it is incorporating things that you learn in recovery, like honesty, open-mindedness, willingness, incorporating the steps, incorporating personal responsibility. But on the other side, it's also, you know, don't mess with your sleep, don't mess with your meds, and it's your job, not anyone else's job, it's your job to create and design a lifestyle that keeps you in the middle. So I don't know if that was five to seven minutes or five to eight or more than that. (laughs) (laughs) It was great. It was great. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, where to even begin with, you know, talking about some of the things you said? I I mean, for one, I I definitely want to say that pop culture has... You know, it's good in a way that it reduces stigma about some of these mental health, uh, you know, they say disorders, I don't like the word, but whatever, these these mental health challenges. Um, But in another way, it really warps our understanding of what they really are, right? I I think so. And and maybe it's we've moved away a little bit from this now, but for so long, the whole bipolar thing was like, you're moody, right? You're, (laughs) You're happy one second and mean the next or whatever. And it's like, oh, they're just bipolar. And I'm like, that's definitely not what bipolar is. And, and maybe that's actually a good place to start. What the hell is bipolar, right? Um, and so if you want to look at the diagnosis, it's bipolar 1 and bipolar 2 are both, you know, characterized by these these periods of, like you said, mania and hypomania. And you did a, a really good job explaining that. And I was glad you did, too, because you said I'm bipolar 2. And I was like, not bipolar also, bipolar 2, the number, uh, the Roman number, of course. And then you also have periods of depression. And so your mania or your hypomania, these episodes, you'll have abnormally upbeat, jumpy, or wired times. You'll have increased activity, energy, or agitation. You'll have an exaggerated sense of well-being and self-confidence, also you know referred to as euphoria. You'll have a decreased need for sleep, unusual talkativeness, you touched on that, racing thoughts, you touched on that, distractibility, which is, and this is where it gets so confusing when you're operating in the mental health world, right? Because so many of these also can look like ADHD or ADHD can present as so many of these. And so it's really tricky. And it takes a lot of, like you said, monitoring and self-honesty to really nail down because a lot of mental health is... Uh, self-reported like that's how we figure out what's going on with people they tell us themselves and so you got to be an accurate self-historian in order to to really get a good diagnosis uh and then back you you know it says poor decision making which i I think in the moment of bipolar does not feel like poor decision making (laughs) feels feels like really really smart decisions but it gives examples of going on buying sprees taking sexual risks or making foolish investments all right so maybe that sounds like wednesdays and not tuesdays (laughs) Um, and then, you know, your, your major depressive episodes sound a lot like any other major depressive episodes. You're going to have depressed moods, such as feeling sad, empty, hopeless, or tearful, uh, marked loss of interest or feeling no pleasure in all or almost all activities, significant weight loss when not dieting, weight gain, decrease or increase in appetite, either insomnia or sleeping too much, either restlessness or slowed behavior, fatigue or loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt, decreased ability to think or concentrate, thinking about planning or attempting self-harm. And I always like to joke with people when I'm kind of evaluating them for depression. It's almost like if you do anything, you have depression, right? It's like you eat more, you eat less. You sleep more, you sleep less. Like It's really about the fluctuation from your norm that is helpful. Um, well, let me ask oh, yeah. either of you. It, 
There's no, uh, I guess what you would call like a medical diagnosis for this. It really is just a like something itself, like you said, like self-reported. Like you have to be honest about your thing. There's no like brain tests they can do or no, that no, we're aware of. No brain test. Yeah, unfortunately, mental health, uh, we, we don't know how to test the brain necessarily for... <laughs> for a lot of these things. Right. So, it, it I mean, it's, it's self-reported in the sense of, like, you share the symptoms that you're having. Um, but I, I think a, a good doctor, psychiatrist, therapist is going to be able to also see some of the signs, right? Like, generally, people don't come in and say, Oh, I think I'm bipolar because I'm having these ups and these downs. They're just like, man, this week I have not been able to concentrate on stuff. I like spent too much money that I really don't have. And they're, they're telling you things. And so you're kind of picking up on, and maybe you see the shift in how they present in session, right? You're like, damn, last week you were like really down and barely here. And this week you will not stop talking about right. your week. And so, you know, there are some physical signs that you see in people as they they go through this but as a as a therapist that's hard to see for one hour a week and pick out whereas like your partner probably has a much better bird's eye view <laughs> which is you know sometimes useful to bring a partner into session and be like what do you see going on in this person's life i'm uh i'm very lucky that my partner is also bipolar we're both bipolar too so I think if one of us, I think we, we've actually talked about it and he's like, yeah, if I was bipolar one, we wouldn't be together. <laughs> <laughs> like, cause you would have killed me by now. <laughs> I, I'm curious if two bipolar people living together, do your, do your, uh, your shifts in mood level, like sync up like two women with their periods. <laughs> right. Like, <do> right. You... <laughs> no, thankfully, thankfully, uh, we do not live together. Um, but what we do in our relationship, our relationship started because I got diagnosed and had no one to turn to. And he, I had a friend of mine and she was like, you know, you should meet Christopher because, you know, he, um, he deals with the stuff you deal with. That was just how it was put. It was not put like he's bipolar or whatever. And we touched base because, um, one of the things, and they didn't even mention, which interesting, they didn't mention it in that giant list of things you do when you're hypomanic. Right. Um, but social media is another one. It's both a trigger and it's also a warning sign. So if, um, if I'm posting thing after thing after thing, and they're all, you know, like, I hate my life and why can't this get any easier and you know, this whole thing. And that's what happened is he saw that and he he sent me a mat. This is back when I was actually still on Facebook. I've been off for about two years and that was a mental health decision as well. And, uh, I went on and I posted something like very similar to that. And he messaged me and he said, uh, mood follows action. Hmm. And I was like, this motherfucker here. <laughs> you know, I, I was just, Oh, I was ready. I was like, Oh, you school your ass, you know? Uh -huh. Um, and uh, I said, some of us deal with depression and some of us deal with bipolar disorder. <laughs> so righteously indignant. And uh, and he said, and I'm one of them, kiddo. He said, I've been in and out of institutions since I was 12 years old. And that began a friendship. And I said, I don't I don't know what to do. I said, I can deal with being an addict. I can deal with the things that go along with that. I can't deal with having this particular mental illness. I don't know what, like, literally, I just said, I don't know what to do. And he said, you need to find your bipolar superpower. And I said, I don't know what that is. And he said, it'll come in time. So we, uh, we developed a friendship. We became best friends. And that in turn uh, developed into a relationship later on. And we've been together for about four years. So we, we do, we don't sync up necessarily, but we, we do, um, keep each other in check. You know, uh, we have a rule called the 10 day rule, which is if you have a big idea, if, uh, if that big idea is still a big idea in 10 days, you're allowed to pursue it. But mm -hmm. most of the time it's not, you know what I mean? Because I, right. I, we would do stuff like he would come and say like, you know, I'm going to start a school and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do, you know, and I'd be like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, or I would come to him and say, I want to be a vegan. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I'm going to get a vegan cookbook and I'm going to start a vegan uh, web website and I'm going to learn how to cook vegan and you're going to cook vegan too. And we're going to be vegans together. And, and he would just be like, okay, okay. So 10 days. And I'm like, yeah, 10 days. And usually three days later, I'm just like, yeah, that was a stupid idea. <laughs> and he's like, I know, babe. And for reference for the listeners, uh, the bipolar superpower is not the days where you put on underwear and wrap a towel around your neck like a cape and run around the neighborhood. That is not your bipolar superpower. No, that no. might be mania. The, yeah, the, the bipolar superpower is um, is what what I found is that I've I've been able to use my self awareness of my particular mental illness to help others. Um, I've met quite a few people both in and out of recovery who have dealt with that, who have seen, maybe they saw a post, maybe they heard me on, you know, they, they heard me in a meeting discuss it. Cause whenever I tell my story, that's a very large part of my story. Uh, and then they come to me and say, you know, will you sponsor me or can you, can I put you in my support network? Or um, I just got diagnosed. How do I do this? uh you know those types of things and and so it that's become my <laughs> what do you call it my bipolar super superpower <laughs> is um is just being able to be useful and helpful to others um because it's a very uh scary thing you know because just as we are addicted to a high of being high um, people who deal with mental illness, especially this particular one, get really addicted to mania. Uh, you know, I talk to some friends when they're manic, you know, and they'll say I'm manic and I'll be like, you know, sad face. And they'll be like, yeah, but I, I this is so cool. And I'm like, okay. And I just, you know, my, my next, my next typing text is usually what goes up must come down. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that's what one of the things, you know, Amongst mental health, people tend to feel better at some point if they receive some form of medication, and I think they decide they don't want medication anymore. And this is kind of across the board, but very much in bipolar, it's so easy to understand because once you're leveled out, you're leveled out, and you don't feel that that rush, that good times anymore. And and like you said, the lows suck. But the highs feel, you know, the highs, the, the mania portion feels incredible. And like, who wants to give that up when you feel like you have this like godlike ability for moments of time in your life? And so people do, you know, they have a little bit more incentive to come off their medicine than, you know, somebody else might. And that's scary, but, it, but it's a real thing and it's easy to understand why. Yeah, it's it's kind of why I said like, you know, the my one of my cardinal rules that I live by is don't mess with your meds, don't mess with your sleep. Um sleep is so important that it I mean it it is as my therapist would say like it's number 1 because if your sleep is if your circadian rhythm is off or if your sleep is off in any way, it will pull the rug right out from your meds. So mm. it and it's very precarious because a person's sleep is affected by all kinds of things. It's affected by daylight savings time. It's affected by getting a puppy. It's, it's affected by, um, for women, you know, God bless them. It's affected by their hormonal changes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're, you're consistently, uh, dealing with a house of cards and you're consistently trying to be like, okay, I have to go to bed at this time. And that means personal responsibility. That means telling people around you, like, look, I can't watch another TV show. You know, like I can't watch one more episode. Like <laughs> I have to go to bed right. um, or else it will be very bad for myself and, you know, the people around me. Um, and then nutritionally, it's just important to know that not necessarily like I'm not going to sit here and be like, you know, like I eat grilled fish and vegetables and, you know, <laughs> that's bullshit. Oh, I mean, 80 percent of the time I eat like a death row inmate on suicide watch, you know, mm. uh, whatever, whatever's in front of me, I'm going to do it. I'm going to eat it, um, which I'm working on right now. But the two things that I am very like hard line about is um, I don't drink caffeine after 12. And I don't like 12 p.m. You know, <laughs> I don't drink caffeine as well. Right. And um, I don't eat sugar. I don't eat refined sugar. 
mm-hmm. uh, because I, I found that it disrupts it, it basically, if it disrupts my sleep, it's out. So I can't take, um, you know, like GNC supplements, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like the, the fun stuff, the green tea extract, you know, um, you might as well just give me lines and lines of cocaine, uh, because it affects, it, it affects my sleep. And if it affects my sleep, it's like, it's, it's completely makes me, uh, useless in the bipolar superpower department. So mm. The way you describe it, it makes me think, and maybe this is true for all humans, but but maybe more so for people with a mental health challenge. It's like there's a game of Jenga sitting in front of you, and there's almost like this alter ego of yours, like pulling out the blocks on one side, and you're on the other side trying to figure out how to like roll up paper to fit in and hold the damn structure together <laughs> like no we got to fill these holes and like you're, you're almost fighting against it and it's, it's not life that's doing that to you but it, it is these disturbances that just come about mm-hmm. and you've got to find ways to kind of plug in resources to make it work anyway and that's super challenging it is it, it is very much a challenge um i have i have a great mix of people that are not mentally ill in my life and I have a great mix of people that are what we call hashtag team bipolar is all the people I have on my group that deal with it and understand it and we reach out to each other and we do team bipolar check-ins you know like hey how are you doing this how's your mania this week how's your you know how's your depression are you are you in the middle you know um before I realized that it was as much lifestyle and it was as much the steps and it was as much other stuff as it was meds or therapy. I was having a manic episode maybe once every two months, you know, it was like back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, we're what we call rapid cycling. And um, once I learned what worked for me and what, what worked for, you know, my particular lifestyle, um, then it was one a year. Uh, usually happens. So it's, it's, it's important to know what, um, what can trigger a a bipolar episode. Um, one could be, um, a big, it's a big event, right? So it could be getting a new job, which is both exciting and scary at the same time. It could be a new relationship. It could be the death of a parent. Uh, it could be the anniversary of someone's death. Um, sometimes the holidays trigger people, sometimes it's seasonal. Uh, so like for instance, daylight savings time, whereas most people are like, I get to sleep an extra hour, you know, um, for us, it's like, oh fuck, you know, it's like, okay, all right. So now we got to, okay, got to, got to go to bed earlier. Got to go to, got to get up this time. Got to get up this time. You know, um, we, uh, we try not to live our lives very like fly by night like I can't afford to you know what I mean like I can't afford to be like I'm gonna stay up till one in the morning today you know and it'll be fun I'll just sleep all day nope (laughs) it's like it's like meds at 8 30 bedtime at 9 30 wake up around 7 30 you know and lather rinse repeat right right yeah and and I'm I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying uh, there's a lot of smart people who've done a lot of research to come up with this diagnostics and statistics manual and figure out these different, you know, as they're referred to disorders and, and the, I I still tend to question like the DSM frequently. Um, Right now, what I've been seeing is a lot of people diagnosing bipolar at the psychiatry level and and handing out the abilifies and the the mood stabilizers, the antipsychotics all over the place. And and I'm not saying they're wrong. Like, I'm not one to question anybody. I I have no idea. But I definitely – I get really curious about the diagnosis, and I think one of the hard things about it for people who might – experience this and not understand that they have it or, or they're going through it is like there's this fine line between depression is not permanent and so there are periods during depression where you get like a, a relief of that depressive feeling and if you've been depressed for three four six months and you have a week or two weeks where you don't feel depressed that shit feels fucking great and you want to run with it. And and like, so like, where is like, that's one of my curious questions all the time is like, where is this line between, Hey, you had a couple of weeks where you weren't feeling depressed and then it's actually mania. And I don't know that there really is a, a huge difference 
in the two and and that's you know i i mean i have not been diagnosed with bipolar but that's definitely something that i you know i i kind of just don't let people diagnose me with bipolar because i don't ever want to know that i am if that's the case uh, and it seems manageable right now and that's another big piece of this too right if your life is functional and manageable and there's no life disturbance then you're not qualified for this you know this uh diagnosis basically like all diagnoses are are you know preemptively decided on the fact that you need to seek help because it's disturbing your life and so if you're functional and it, it doesn't really matter if you have bipolar or not because you're fine and you don't need to go see about it but when when i guess would you say is a good time for someone to think about looking into it like what kind of things could be happening in their life that could say hey maybe i just need to think more about this and go ask some some people about help so I would advise anybody, if they're in recovery and they're new in recovery, I would advise them to give themselves some time because, you know, and you know, as well as anyone that it's about, you know, you have to be clean and or, you know, or, or whatever, sober, depending on your flavor, um, a certain amount of time before your brain starts to repair itself and make, you know, normal decisions. <laughs> um, so, you know, a lot of stuff like, would be just changes in mood that are so erratic, but not like, I hate, I don't say I hate this, but like, I remember being in a meeting. This is like a great story. At the time I was super offended, but now I think it's funny. Um, but at the time it was like, I, I told my story and the whole bipolar thing and, and someone came up to me and this is a direct quote. They said, my sister goes from like zero to bitch in like 2.5 seconds. I think she's bipolar, you know? <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, that's not really how it works. Um, you know, cause we're, especially in addiction or especially um, depending on the kind of drugs you did, uh, you know, we have a tendency to, to slide from pole to pole anyway. Um, and for me, it was the frequency of these changes and it was the severity of the of the changes so like for instance before I got before I got clean I um would go to the therapist when I was depressed like I would have very specific you know like I said I'm, I'm from a medical family so it was very much you know it's like okay well I guess you're going to go to a you know psychiatrist so they would see me depressed right and then they'd prescribe a med you know, usually an antidepressant. I get on the antidepressant, everything would be fine. I would come back to therapy and I was probably manic during that time. And I would just be like, yeah, man, I'm great. You know, I've got energy and I'm, I'm working on this and I'm working on that. And, you know, I don't think I need this therapy thing anymore, <laughs> you know? And then the therapist would just be like, um, yeah, I think you should come back. And, and I'd be like, no, <laughs> <laughs> fuck off. Um, so, you know, like, I love the way I feel. Don't take this away from me, you know? So I would say the frequency and the severity. So I, just to discuss like really the downside, I mean, there's, there's, trust me, the, the spiral and the after effects of a bipolar episode are, um, a lot of the people I've talked to that had friends that committed suicide or friends that, you know, that didn't really like make it necessarily were because of the after effects of a, of a bipolar episode, meaning the shame, the guilt, you know, the fact that they had maybe said something they shouldn't have said, done something they shouldn't have done. Um, you know, they talk about excessive spending, excessive sexual, you know, different <laughs> choices. Um, and that's, you know, that's a, that's a big thing. Um, it's the excessive spending, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I got six credit cards. Okay. And none of those credit cards were gotten, you know, when I wasn't hypomanic. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I mean, it was just like, Oh, I got one. Oh, that's so exciting. Okay. Oh, they sent me another. Oh, this is so great. Like, <laughs> And then before you know it, you're paying $217 in monthly fees and you're wondering why the hell you can't, you know, go get a bed if you want to. You know what I mean? So mm. it comes down to like if it's life threatening in a lot of ways. And it's not really necessarily like life threatening is one very big part of it. But if it compromises your 
um, ability to have a life and, and if it's um, your quality of life too. You know, I was once disinvited to Thanksgiving dinner because of the way I acted when I was manic. Um, I want to say it was brought on by a breakup, I think is what happened. And, oh, no, it wasn't. Uh, it was a pharmacy mess up. The pharmacy had given me double my dosage of meds. Mm. And uh, I didn't know that. I I'd started taking them like normal and I didn't feel right. And I just couldn't figure out why I didn't feel right. And then I peeled off the label. Just, I was just screwing around, you know, like, just like we do fidgeting and I peeled off the label and it had a different thing on. And I was like, Oh, these are, I've been taking the wrong medication, but by then the damage was done. You know, I had already yelled at people and um, you know, you, you lack a filter. So you just kind of say whatever you're thinking and there's no, you know, there's no, uh, there's nothing to stop you once you're, once you're in the, you know, once the horse has left the stable, you know, um, that's the horse has left the stable. All you can really do is minimize the fallout and, uh, and it can be and the fallout of it can be very, um, emotionally crippling. You know, another thing that happens is that a manic episode tends to follow the same chemical makeup as a, um, an epileptic seizure. So after an epileptic seizure, you usually have a very foggy brain and you can't remember what happened during the seizure. And it's very similar to that with a manic episode where after the manic episode is done, you're very foggy. You can't concentrate. You're sort of like, Oh, what did I say? What did I do? And that's horrible because then you're left going, okay, who do I apologize to? Okay. What do I need to do? And then people will come to you and say, Oh, you said this or, Oh, you did this. And that is very scary, you know? So like I said, Aristotle, stay right here. Because <laughs> mania, in theory, sounds fun. You know, in right. theory, it sounds great because you're super creative and you're super, you know, you're the life of the party and um, all of that. But then, like I said, it just, there's, it turns. It just like drugs turn, you know? So. Mm -hmm. This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. Does it seem like certain things trigger manic episodes and certain things trigger depressive episodes, or is it just any major life changes can trigger whatever? So in order for you to get to the depressive episode, you have to have a manic episode. So in other words, depressive episodes don't happen without one. One doesn't happen without the other, basically. Um, now there are other, there, there, the, you know, the journal of medicine is trying to make it a spectrum disorder, in which case there would be like a bipolar three and a bipolar four and a unipolar and a, right. you know, a lot of other things where people experience, you know, more depression and then more mania and more, you know, but I mean, in the, in the way in which I have it, which is bipolar too, it's like, you, you, you can't get here without getting here. Right. <laughs> so, big life changes, anything that interrupts your sleep. Um, it's, it's also where it comes from is very important. I didn't know if you guys had done any research on that, but it's 80% genetic and it's 20% environmental. So my father was bipolar. My great grandfather was bipolar. I didn't really stand a chance, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the way you described that it did, uh, it sounded a lot like the, the drug use, right? When, when you have the drugs and they're plentiful and everything's flowing, everything's a great time. And then coming out of that into that, you know, that down period, that sadness and, and not really having a clue what in the fuck just what happened for that period of time. Uh, you know, you mentioned the genetic 
part of this and uh, they talk about the risk factors. And so risk factors don't necessarily mean that like, if you do this, you have this or any of that, but they're, they're things that highly correlate, right? So when they talk to people who have bipolar, they say, oh, they have all these things in common as well. So they're like correlating risk factors. And, and basically the correlating risk factors are someone in your family or drug or alcohol abuse. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Um, and, and, and that's one of those things like, we say someone in your family, but this hasn't been around all that long. We haven't been really monitoring all that long. Stigma has kept a lot of people from seeking help. And so there might not be any diagnosed people in your family. It doesn't mean that they weren't there or didn't exist. And, and I think this also talking about the drug or alcohol abuse portion, you know, maybe bipolar is a little over diagnosed in regular population, but it's going to skew towards our population of people in recovery, having a much higher percentage than the typical population of society. So it, it's definitely prevalent and out there for sure. Absolutely. And I would agree that, uh, for instance, my father, I didn't find out that my father was bipolar until he died. Um, because I, I had a, a long discussion with my uncle and we sat there talking and he was like, you know, your, your dad was manic depressive. And I was like, you know, you know, my father, the Mensa member, the doctor, the engineer, the guy who rode motorcycles, like that guy was bipolar. And he was like, oh yeah, <laughs> he said he would get really obsessed with things for periods of time where he would like buy a bunch of stuff and then he'd be really into it. And then he would be not into it at all. It was like, it never happened. And I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. And my father, who was also an alcoholic, he used, I believe that he somehow managed to make it work and that his mania was what drove him to be, you know, the, the the best baby doctor in town at the time he delivered over 6,000 children hmm. and I think that his when he would come home you know you're still kind of up here and I think in order for him to calm that I think that's why he drank you know I think I think there was a, a part of that that was there was a genetic component because his father and grandfather are both were both alcoholics but also I think it was you know being someone who's unmedicated and, you know, living a very sort of fast paced lifestyle and uh, from a different generation, from a generation where that kind of thing wasn't really uh, diagnosed or discussed, not to mention doctors don't like to admit that they're sick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Like they're the worst patients ever. Um, so yeah, I don't, yeah, it's, you know, correlation doesn't equal causation kind of thing. But like, I, I feel usually the people I know that are bipolar have some family member in some way that had that, you know, that, that dealt with that. Um, but like I said, if you're from a family where that's not talked about, or you're from a family where they, you know, don't necessarily agree with like going to therapy or anything like that, it would be very hard to find that. It'd be very hard for someone to find out, you know, like that they had it or not had it. So for me, it, it required a lot of, um, just a lot of research, you know, just a lot of research and finding the right therapist was another mm -hmm. one, you know? finding a, I found a therapist that was both in recovery and understood and understood bipolar disorder. And, and I had seen people at the time in recovery who were, who were bipolar, who were on a very specific med that I will not mention, but it's very popular with bipolar. And, um, and I told him, I said, don't put me on that. I don't want to be a zombie. That was my, my whole thing was, I don't want to lose, <laughs> I don't want to lose my edge. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be I don't want to be, I don't want to be a zombie. I don't want to lose my personality. I don't want things to be muted. That was mm -hmm. very important. And he was like, no, I would never put you on that med because that med is a salt and you live in Florida and you will sweat it out your glands and it won't be as effective. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, cool. You know, um, which was interesting because my boyfriend was on it at the time and he had an outside job where he would sweat and sweat and sweat and he would start to have episodes. And I said, you may want to talk to your doctor about that. Cause my therapist said this and this, and then he talked to his doctor and got switched over to something else. And he didn't have those issues anymore, you know? Okay. So 
we, he and I have a tendency to educate each other when we find out information, you know, we're, we're very gentle with going like, Hey, are you a little manic today? (laughs) If you've got the overwhelming urge to deliver 6,000 babies or to father 6,000 babies, (laughs) you, you might want to go get checked out for sure. I mean, it's, it's almost like I would love to do like a, you know, like the old, like Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck. It's like, you might be bipolar (laughs) if, you know, (laughs) Right, right. Maybe that's your superpower coming up. Yeah. Like, you think it's a good idea to write a book about? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> bipolar. Um, but the um the other important thing is um how the steps play into uh the recovery from mental illness is another one because granted the steps are not everything as we said you know we talk about there are other there are other things as far as medication and therapy and such but. The steps help you get a leg up, in my opinion. They, they, they helped me get a leg up because it taught me the idea behind, you know, ask for help and don't tell the help how to help you mm-hmm. was important. Uh, you know, divorce yourself from the results, <laughs> you know, um, and clearing out the wreckage of the past was a big one. Making amends. I had to make amends for not paying rent to a relative to the tune of $4,800 because I experienced a manic episode. I was on the wrong, the wrong meds, but I was on a different med cocktail and I was just, that was what I was doing with my rent money. I was just spending it and eating it and, you know, whatever I could. And uh, so when I got to eight and nine, that was a thing I had to do. You know, I had, I had to make amends for that. And that occurred in recovery, you know, that didn't, that wasn't, I couldn't blame it. I couldn't say like, oh yeah, well, you know, I was high. I don't remember, blah, blah, blah. It was like, no, I, you know, this happened and this happened. And the importance of honesty, open-mindedness and willingness, because had I been honest from the very beginning and said, look, I don't think that I can, number one, I don't think that I'm responsible enough to have a house and rent it. <laughs> number two, because I think I only had like six years clean at the time. Uh, and number two, um, I'm experiencing these changes in my body and I don't know what they are. And I think I'm in trouble. You know, if I had said that at the very beginning, none of that would have happened. You know, if, if I had just been honest about it. And then, uh, you know, with 10, it's a constant, you know, understanding that if I, if I, you know, fly off the mouth and say something that's inappropriate, then you better make amends immediately, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, keeping, keeping things level. And then 11, you know, developing a relationship with a higher power. That's not me, <laughs> you know, cause of course when you're manic, you know, you are your higher power. You know? <laughs> um and then, and then 12, you know, and then taking, taking that information and using it to be useful and helpful to others, you know, so it all, uh, it all plays into it, you know, um, but I've always said that it's not, it's not all there is. I have been to meetings where people have shared about mental illness or shared about, you know, going through something and having people immediately retort with, you know, well, it sounds like you don't have the willingness. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you're not working the stuff. Yeah, and I think another. While I don't always necessarily buy into the the actual addiction definition or that it's a total thing, I'm a little you know iffy about all that. But I I love the way it reduced shame for me when I walked in the door. It's like, oh, I suffer with this thing, not so much that it's me, right? And I like that that can kind of translate over to any mental health challenge as well. It's it's this thing. It's not me. Do I need to own the things I've done? Absolutely. But I don't necessarily have to take on that I'm a bad person because of these things. And I, I like that that correlates over as well to bipolar. Absolutely. Um, I, I can tell you that when my brain starts to speed up and I can start to see it, I used to get really scared. Like I used to get like, oh my God, like, why the hell can't you just be normal? What did you do? Did you sleep wrong? Did you, did you eat the sugar? What did you, you know? And then just beating myself up in this like shame spiral. Whereas now it's like, okay, so 
I'm sweating profusely. I just ordered a bunch of shit off Amazon that I shouldn't <laughs> have. I've been a little bit of a chatty Kathy lately. Okay, so perhaps we need to do some things to put us back in the middle. And we also need to let our support network know that we're in a little bit of a, not a danger zone, but a gray area right now where it's kind of mm. like, eh, <laughs> this could or could not be bad, you know, um, which is importance of having a, a supportive partner, even if your partner's not, you know, bipolar, um, it's just importance of having a, a partner that understands and that can communicate right. and that can also, you were talking about, can see those sort of almost imperceivable changes in a person's uh mood or or you know the things they're doing you know mm -hmm. like like six credit cards show up you know <laughs> well and with the steps so i have someone i'm close with in my life that's bipolar and is also in recovery and i know for her like the steps let her or help her figure out like morals and values and then how is the way i'm living is that in accordance with these values because as she'll say sometimes, like she'll get into these episodes where she wants to just blow shit up. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> yeah. quit her job, quit her life, quit everything, run off yep. somewhere, do something else. And it's like, well, is that in accordance with, you know, the mom that I want to be or the wife that I want to be or the partner that I want to be? And maybe not. So maybe we shouldn't maybe we should think about that for a minute before we react. Mm -hmm. So the steps have been really you know, crucial in that area as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing is um, managing your schedule. You know, like I going to I, I do I do mainly Zoom meetings like I, I still do Zoom meetings. I do all my staff work over Zoom and, you know, we're in kind of a a state right now in the area in which I live in where people just, you know, pretend like we're not in a pandemic. So, <laughs> so it's easier for me to just kind of stay safe and stay healthy. Um, so I, I have that. And one of the things is like, if people invite me to like big events, even if we weren't in a pandemic, you know, it's up to me to know what my mental state is to say yes or no. You know, if someone says, Hey, I need you to drive 45 minutes to this celebration. I will basically say, hi, I would love to, I'm not going to, um, but um, I will be there in spirit and congratulations on your recovery. Um, and that's, that's not something that I used to know how to do, you know, because you want to please everybody. You want to be right. everyone's friend. You want to be that go-to person for things. And it's like, no, if it's a, if it's a big event, I that's usually it's like I get one big event a week. <laughs> 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 Whatever that is, I get to decide. But I mean, I just can't. I, I wish that I could do all the things like I used to in my 20s when it was just like, you know, I'm going to stay up all night and I'm going to go to work. And <laughs> do this, so, you know. I, I think you've touched on this entire list of triggers, but I want to run it down for people who either a are, are new to the bipolar community and want to know more about what can affect you know their their swings or for people who just want to kind of monitor themselves and think oh do these things make a difference in my life so we we talk uh stress from major life events both positive or negative lack of sleep erratic schedules caffeine and alcohol certain medications such as antidepressants or corticosteroids seasonal changes stopping bipolar meds or varying the treatment schedule, thyroid problems, and substance abuse. And I think the only one that you hadn't mentioned was thyroid problems. But <laughs> yeah, those are, are all things that can definitely trigger uh, shifts for your bipolar. So if you wanted to, maybe if you journal, like this is where journaling comes in a lot of handy. And if you write down, you know, things you did each day and then your moods and you can kind of see patterns. Uh, so then we get to coping strategies. <laughs> As if these are going to be super helpful. Uh, but no, they, they'd mention things to help you cope if you are struggling with bipolar. And you've mentioned some of these as well. You know, control stress is one of the biggest ones. And I think the first thing that comes to my mind is how the hell do you do that, right? But I think this is another place where recovery can come into to play, right? Talking about acceptance and surrender to things outside of our control, the serenity prayer, right? This is ways to control stress, um, 
keeping a regular schedule. You've mentioned that. Practicing healthy sleep habits. Uh, one that I, I don't know that we've talked about on here yet is get moving. Studies show regular exercise can help improve mood. I'm not sure that that's totally... You know. I totally forgot to. I totally forgot about that. That's it's funny because my my therapist is always like, you know, you you are you you get an exercise and it's like <laughs> like you know, he even tell he says it's not negotiable, Aaron. You know, um, <laughs> so one of the wonderful things about getting a puppy was that uh, I was super out of shape. Like I mean, cardiac wise, I was just like a you know, it, I couldn't walk from here down to the stairs I was just not in good shape and um I got a puppy and all of a sudden I have to move every hour and mm. I have to go down two flights of stairs every hour and up two flights of stairs and I have to carry a puppy and I have to do all of these things and so it got me moving and it got me into really really good shape and then as a result of that I started lifting weights and I found that the lifting weights actually helped with the sleep Mm. Um, and it also helps with keeping your hormones level and it, it, it just helped with like my mood. I mean, I hate to be that asshole, you know, who's just like, you know, like I felt shitty before I exercise. No, I feel so good. You know, and it's like, I hate to, I do, I hate to be that person, but dude, exercise works. It makes, it really, <laughs> I mean, granted I ain't going to become a crossfitter. Like that's not happening. You know? Um, but walking is something that has helped me get in touch with meditation, you know, and just because it's the time that I can just kind of like go and focus and enjoy nature and get sunlight, which is very important. Um, traditionally, people who suffer from mental illness or bipolar disorder are vitamin D deficient anyway. So sunlight is very, very, very important. And when I can't get sunlight, because, you know, it's fucking florida and sometimes it rains um i have a happy lamp which mimics vitamin d light and i plug it in and as long as i don't leave the damn thing on all day uh you know i can get a little bit of a little bit of vitamin d action so to speak um but yeah exercise movement in general is important it, it's important just you don't have to go to you, you don't have to join orange theory you know what i mean like you don't have to get a you don't have to get a trainer you know it, it, right. it's just like you know, hey, I took a walk today. <laughs> you know? Well, like, and I think one thing people forget about sometimes with physical movement is the fact that it is a, a meditative slash mindful experience, right? Anytime you're moving, you are connecting your brain and your body more so than you were previously. And a lot of times, especially if, you know, we start in the, the not greatest shape, we're connecting to our breath, too, because we're like, holy fuck, I'm out of breath, right? This is hard to do. So there, there is a lot of self-monitoring in that, which I think is absolutely beneficial, even besides the, the movement and, you know, all the other parts that you mentioned. Another uh, coping strategy, imagine that. Write it down. Keep a journal that makes note of big events, stresses, and how much sleep you're getting and what you're eating and drinking. Shocking, right? Like these are... Inventory. Oh, there it is. <laughs> right. Inventory, right. And, and you know, big big, big letters, patterns, just pay attention to the patterns in your life. Like you said, this isn't something that you kind of figure out right away when you, you know, you might get some inklings that something's a little off, but a lot of things are off when you first take all the substances out of your system. But yeah, it's, it's watching these patterns over time, figuring out exactly what's going on, why, and, and all of this can very much come from a program of recovery that helps you look more at yourself and keep track of yourself and, you know, take tabs on you and what's going on. And so I, I can see how a lot of recovery processes definitely could assist with this. Um, and it's unfortunate, like you said early on, I, I kind of encountered a similar thinking in a lot of people of like, nope, you don't need any of the mental health medication. That's all just more drugs to mess with your brain. You just need these steps and you'll be good. And, you know, it's your fault if you can't do it. And I, I hope we are moving further and further away from that kind of message because that is none of our goddamn business in a meeting. And that would be, I guess, a follow-up question would be, besides just that idea, are there other things in recovery that maybe don't apply to people with, like, a mental health issue or with bipolar? Are there some things that are, like, maybe that's an area that you need to stay away from? Hmm. Interesting. Well, okay. Are, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm going to say it. Um, it. It's, uh, it would be getting involved in too much service. Hmm. 
And I know that sounds like, okay, well, that's kind of contrary to the things that we learn because you learn like, you know, you've got to be of service. You've got to sponsor the person in front of you and and you learn all of that. But um, I know that it is very easy, especially when a person is manic or hypomanic to start signing up for mm-hmm. committees, you know, and <laughs> get, you know, it's like, I'm going to get involved in area service and, and public service and, oh, and H&I, and I'm going to do this and sponsor <laughs> nine people. And, uh, oh, we should set up a sponsorship tree group, like, I mean, dude, I've been, and I've, I've, I've been that person, man. I've been the person who was, when they were hypomanic, like started just signing up for random, sh- you know, like, like, oh, a learning day. Of course I'll come, you know? <laughs> um, and what usually ends up happening is that once that ends and you're starting to do that, like spiral, you don't want to be around anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I made a really good illustration, which was what a list looks like when you're, when you're manic and it's very, uh, it, you know, it's very long and it's very detailed and there's all these types of things on there. And then when you're, when you start to do the agitation depression part of it, you're just, you take like a big marker and you're like, fuck all of this, you know, <laughs> you know, cause you, you start to become it when when I start when I start doing this like sort of spiral all of a sudden you know people you love become people you hate you become more sweepingly judgmental of things uh and you just don't want to be around people uh things are very irritating uh people are irritating (laughs) you can only imagine if you sign up for you know you sign up for all of these committees and then all of a sudden you're in the committee i mean you're just like sitting there like this just like man fuck these fucking people (laughs) (laughs) and so like like i talked about managing managing schedule and lifestyle um one of the things that you have to you have to be aware of in recovery is just you know don't go crazy with the service. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to burn yourself out and it will trickle down into the people around you. <laughs> right. So, just, you know, hey, maybe one commitment is good, you know, like, because I've heard it, service junkie. You know, I've heard that right. expression. And um, for people that are, for people that deal with bipolar disorder, it's like, oh, Okay, you know, and uh, when that happens, or when I feel like things have become very overwhelming, because I've made a list or something like that, what I do is I dumb it down to threes. So it's like, I can do three things in a day. Yes, I can do three things in a day. I can do three self care items in a day. Yes, that's not overwhelming to me. That's the middle. In my opinion, the threes are the middle. (laughs) Because it's not fuck all of you, or I'm going to do everything. It's like, okay, I can, I can do these things right here. This is manageable. This is okay. Um, the other thing that's not on that list is, um, cause I talk about stress management. Music is another mm. really big one for me. Um, you know, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm listening to the same frenetic song over and over again, like some kind of fucking Teletubby, you know, just like again, 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 then, um, there's a chance that I could be edging into mania you know, but, uh, if I tend to keep my music choices, very, you know, soft rock, if you will, um, then it kind of, it actually lowers my blood pressure, which then lowers my heart rate and keeps me more, you know, on this little level Mm. right here. Yeah. And there's a lot of research being done right now about, uh, not, not just music, but music's tie into movement and how movement and rhythm can affect our regulation as bodies, right? And if you think about bipolar, like uh, you think about mania as more like you said, frenetic, maybe more jerky type movements, I want to say. And, and and you think of like depressive sides of that as like not much movement at all. And so, you know, this regulation and rhythm of like this fluid kind of middle ground, exactly like you're talking about. Um, we, we are running up against time here, Aaron. Is there any final thoughts about bipolar or anything you want to share? Yes. Uh, it, you know, if you, if you do get diagnosed or you think you might be bipolar, um, you know, it's important that you gotta, you gotta be your own health advocate. You gotta ask as many questions as possible. You gotta, you've gotta interview your therapist, your potential therapists and psychiatrists and doctors as if you 
we're, you know, interviewing a sponsor. Um, you know, ask as many questions as humanly possible, do the research, um, and then really understand that this is your life and become self-aware and, you know, understand that this, what, what works for one person may not work for another. And, um, you know, things, everything is subject to change, uh, because the way that I led my life in active addiction versus the way I led my life in early recovery versus the way that I live my life today is very, very different. And there's a certain amount of acceptance that has to be practiced with that. Like where you just have to be like, well, this is just how shit is right now. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. It could change. You know? <laughs> so, but um, the other thing is it's not a death sentence. Um, you know, you can, you can look at it as an affliction or a gift. And the important thing is knowing that, you know, if you have a good support network and you're able to stay in the middle, you know, um, you're going to be okay. And you're just, just that you're going to be okay. If I can, if I can touch one person or educate one person about it today with this, then I've done my job. (laughs) That's so awesome. So I I think we've done everything I can do with this episode. That's for sure. Uh, We really appreciate you coming on Aaron and sharing your, your story, the, the highs and lows, so to speak of it. And, um, man, just keep doing the the thing you're doing and helping people. We appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for this opportunity. You guys have a great day. You You too. too. Bye. Take care. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us.